My name is Megan Mitchell. I'm a partner with Arnold Golden Gregory and a member of the firm's litigation and employment teams. With me today is Ed Cadigan, an associate also in our employment and litigation group. We want to thank you for tuning in to AGG's podcast series, AGG Talks. Our podcasts feature AGG colleagues discussing challenges they've encountered when assisting clients on business and legal issues related to employment and litigation. And our episode today will focus on the COVID-19 vaccines and their impact on the workplace. So Ed, let's dive in. We've come a long way since March of 2020 when we all started working from home and the pandemic hit. At the end of 2020, the Pfizer vaccine received emergency use authorization from the FDA. Since then, we've got three COVID-19 vaccines being used in the U.S. And as of now, when we're recording this podcast, almost 64% of adults have received at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine, although only about half of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. And we both know the Biden administration is pushing vaccination goals and encouraging employers to play a role in the vaccination process. So if you're an employer thinking about the COVID-19 in your workplace, let's talk a little bit about what sources of guidance you might look to. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned we've come a long way since March 2020. Back in March 2020, when the pandemic hit, the only real source of guidance came from the EEOC from 2009, which was in response to the H1N1 pandemic. And since that time, new guidance has come from the FDA, the EEOC, the CDC, and OSHA as well, along with uh, guidance from states, particularly California. Back in December, the EEOC issued what at the time was a long-awaited guidance that dealt with the vaccination in the workplace. And we're going to be talking about even newer guidance from the EEOC that came out uh, around Memorial Day that gives us more information that uh, employers are desperate to know about well, whether they can implement mandatory vaccination programs, how to go about doing that, accommodations, incentives, things like that. And, and I know you're going to give us a brief overview of that new guidance. It's important to point out, however, that the EEOC's guidance is guidance, yes, but we should at this point take it as law and follow it because it's the closest thing we've got guiding uh, our employers in this space. The CDC and FDA guidance, however, is, is safety and health related, and it's, um, it's just that. It's guidance. But at, at this point, without anything else, again, we should treat it as de facto you know, the way to behave because there's no other guidance out there other than CDC, FDA, EEOC, and OSHA. So it's important that we, we talk about what's out there. But as I mentioned today, we're going to talk about the EEOC. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that's happened throughout this pandemic is that the situation has constantly changed. And even though we are taking this EEOC guidance as basically the, the way to behave now, <laughs> the frustrating thing is this guidance came out with a disclaimer that it was all drafted prior to the CDC's guidance for fully vaccinated individuals. So I want to point that out too, that they were working on all of this guidance before the CDC revised its guidelines pretty dramatically for folks who are fully vaccinated. And so like everything else, we've got to pay attention and the guidance 
likely will change again. But in the meantime, we've received a lot of much more detailed guidance from the EEOC about how to handle vaccination in the workplace. And so a lot of it builds on guidance that came out in December. So we've always known that if you're going to have a vaccination program in the workplace, you need to provide exemptions for sincerely held religious beliefs and for folks with disabilities, which we'll talk about later on. That hasn't changed. The fact that employers need to provide those outs hasn't changed in the new guidance. But what the updated guidance has done is definitely give employers a green light to mandate the vaccine for employees who are going to be physically present in the workplace. And that's obviously a big distinction because there's a lot of employees who may not be physically present in the workplace. And it still remains to be seen the impact of remote work, how many employees are going to be able to continue working remotely, especially if they aren't able to or do not want to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. That's going to be a recurring issue. But turning back to the updated guidance, the takeaway is that if you're going to make an employee's job contingent upon receiving a COVID-19 vaccine, you've got to have a religious accommodation policy, and you've got to have a way to offer reasonable accommodations for employees with disabilities. There are also some ADA implications. And so if you're going to have employees submit proof of vaccination to you, that information must be kept confidential. And employers need to be really careful about not collecting additional health-related information from employees. That was made really clear in the updated guidance. So if you're an employer who's thinking about implementing a mandatory vaccination program at this point, we definitely recommend that you review the updated guidance, talk to an attorney, and come up with a policy that's going to be evenly applied and something that your managers and supervisors and HR team can follow and apply evenly, knowing that there are going to be a lot of questions and potential accommodations that are going to come up as part of this process. So with that said, it's still important to be flexible through this process. I also want to talk about the fact, Ed, that a lot of employers are stopping short of mandating the vaccine, especially in, you know, over the last few months, we saw demand outpace supply. Yeah, I think that a lot of employers, whether for administrative or political reasons or who knows, are not wanting to go as far as mandate the vaccine, but many of them are still wanting to encourage their employees to get the vaccine or even providing it, but making it you know, voluntary. One question that's arisen and has kind of been answered by this new guidance is whether employers can offer incentives to employees to receive the vaccine, such as gift cards or cash or T-shirts or time off, you name it. It was a little unclear what the EEOC guidance would say about incentives, because in the past, we know they've been a little leery of incentives in this sphere. But do you want to talk about what the EEOC said in its new guidance regarding incentives? Yeah, absolutely. We did finally get at least some answer on this. And the EEOC definitely gave the green light to employers to offer incentives for voluntary vaccination. So if you're an employer who is going to, on a purely voluntary basis, tell employees that if they turn in a copy of their vaccination card, they will receive some sort of incentive, 
that in all likelihood is going to be perfectly fine under the EEOC's new guidance. Obviously, keep the information confidential once you receive it and don't ask for additional health-related information in the context of that. But that sort of voluntary, completely, you know, some sort of probably not huge incentive is something that workplaces and employers will have as a tool in their toolkit. Now, if you're an employer who is administering the vaccine on site, the EEOC guidance was a little different. So if the vaccination is being done by the employer, as opposed to, you know, your employee going to a local pharmacy and then turning in their card, in that scenario, the EEOC said that employers cannot offer incentives that are so substantial as to be coercive. Now, we don't know what that language means. The guidance does say that the EEOC is concerned that employees may feel pressured to disclose protected medical information in the workplace in an incentive program like that. But an incentive program that's purely voluntary, where an employee is just offering proof of vaccination, is something that the EEOC has blessed with the new guidance. It's kind of unhelpful, isn't it? So substantial as to be coercive. That language doesn't help much because the whole point of an incentive is to incentivize someone and incentivizing someone is a version of kind of coercing them in a way. I know the word coercive gets a negative connotation, but without giving us any more, it's going to be hard for employers to know exactly where the line is and when it's been crossed. Yeah, and this situation is really kind of unprecedented in a lot of ways. And so my sense is that it would take a lot to get this issue on the EEOC's radar because there's clearly a push to encourage vaccination coming down from the administration. I think it would really take something kind of eyebrow raising to be so substantial as to be coercive, but you're exactly right. We don't know what that means. So maybe we turn back now, Ed, do you want to talk a little bit about how the updated guidance can guide employers who are mandating the vaccine, what sort of considerations they need to think about for employees who might have a disability or a sincerely held religious belief? Yes. First, I'll point out that as opposed to the guidance that came from the EEOC in December, this new guidance that just came out last month makes it very clear that you can make your vaccination program mandatory. However, it makes equally clear that if you have a mandatory vaccination program, you have to accommodate for disabilities and sincerely held religious beliefs. Those are going to be the most common exemptions sought from any mandatory vaccination policy. At the outset, I'll reemphasize there are no magic words that an employee needs to use when requesting a disability or a religious accommodation. They don't have to say the words accommodation. They just have to make it clear to the employer that they're requesting an exemption for a reason that's either a disability or a religious belief they have. And then the rubric for dealing with these requests is the same that employers use whenever a request for a reasonable accommodation comes in, whether it's a screen on your computer to block the bright light or something else. It's the interactive process. So let's talk first about the disability. If the employee can't be vaccinated because they have a disability, then the employer is going to have to demonstrate the individual poses a direct threat to the health or safety of the workplace. And the EEOC says a direct threat is a significant risk of substantial harm that can't be eliminated or reduced by a reasonable accommodation. So in other words, they're saying 
each assessment is going to have to be individualized. And different industries are going to present different assessments, whether you're in a hospital or you're on an assembly line or you're in a warehouse where you're not around, your employees aren't around one another very often. The EEOC has said when you're assessing whether there's going to be a direct threat, that is to say, this person not being vaccinated in my workplace presents a direct threat, the EEOC wants you to look at whether they work outside, whether they work alone, ventilation, the number of people vaccinated in your workplace already, whether employees are already wearing masks, availability for social distancing. So there are myriad factors that the EEOC wants you to assess to determine whether this individual not being vaccinated because of their disability presents a direct threat. So the employer has to consider whether providing a reasonable accommodation, absent some hardship to the company, undue hardship, that's the undue hardship that we're always considering when someone comes with an ADA uh, accommodation request. They have to consider whether providing the reasonable accommodation would reduce or eliminate that threat. And potential accommodation could include requiring the employee to wear a mask, working a staggered shift, making changes in the work environment like ventilation, permitting teleworking if feasible, or even reassignment. So the upshot here is that the EEOC has made it very clear that when someone comes to you with a disability request to be exempt from the mandatory vaccination program, you have to take an individualized assessment that is looking at that direct threat standard. It's a little bit different with religious accommodations. It should be noted that religious beliefs can encompass many different belief systems, even non-traditional belief systems, but that they also have to be sincerely held. The EEOC counsels that employers should generally just accept a religious belief or practice that the employee is bringing to you as a reason for their exemption. But if the employer has an objective basis for questioning the religious nature or the sincerity, the sincerity of the particular belief, the employer is justified in requesting additional supporting information. I should have mentioned in the disability context, as with any request for accommodation based on disability, during the interactive process, you're, you're requesting a note from the doctor. That's normal. However, with religious accommodation requests, Employers should exercise tremendous caution in requiring documentation to prove up a religious accommodation request. The burden you have to meet is a lot lower. It's not the direct threat burden. Another thing to think about, other than disability accommodations and religious accommodations, are accommodations requests that are going to come from people that are already vaccinated. Some individuals may be immunocompromised and they may still need a reasonable accommodation even if they're vaccinated because the vaccine doesn't offer them the same measure of protection as other vaccinated individuals. So be ready for that. Don't just turn folks away because they have been vaccinated. Another one that you're going to get is pregnant employees. Pregnancy in and of itself isn't technically a disability and being pregnant isn't religious belief. So where does that fall? Employees need to make sure that Pregnant employees may be entitled to job modifications and that they're not being discriminated against. So keep your eye out for that as well. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty interesting, kind of the depth and length to which the EEOC went to kind of anticipate some of those issues, you know, requests for accommodation from vaccinated individuals. The guidance also points out that some individuals 
may want to wait until a particular version of the vaccine is available to them. So some employees may express a religious preference for one vaccine over the other, and that that's something employers are going to have to address. So the guidance really previews how complicated and fact-intensive this process is going to be for employers when they get accommodation requests from employees. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that the EEOC gave many employers what they've been waiting for, which is a clear, as you've been saying, green light to adopt a mandatory vaccine policy. But the EEOC threw kitchen sink in explaining, you know, before you fire someone or remove them from the workplace because they requested an accommodation, you darn well better look into it and do an individualized assessment and make sure that the individual doesn't qualify for an accommodation under the ADA or Title VII for a religious belief. The other thing we haven't mentioned yet either is that the guidance had some new content related to application of a mandatory vaccination program, and it really explained or previewed for employers that vaccination rollout and kind of the uneven distribution of the vaccine, depending on the geographic area. We know some states are much further down the road in terms of vaccination than other states. It, there's an urban-rural divide. Um, and so the EEOC also directed employers to think about whether there might be some sort of disparate impact on an employee who might be located in one geographic area versus another geographic area, You know whether that employee's access to the vaccine or vaccination rates may be different. So it really gave employers a lot to think about, a lot to unpack with this updated guidance. Absolutely. But bringing it back to square one for our listeners, takeaway is a resounding yes. You can mandate vaccination for your employees. You just need to keep in mind that there are some hoops you're going to have to jump through to protect confidentiality, to provide accommodations, et cetera. Ultimately, I think it's good news for employers who are either for safety reasons or for reputational reasons in the marketplace wanting to implement mandatory uh, vaccine policies. Absolutely. So we'll see how it plays out. Thanks, Ed. Well, we hope you have found this discussion helpful, everyone. As always, stay tuned with changing developments in the COVID-19 world. If you have any questions or would like to submit any feedback on this podcast or submit topics for future podcasts, please feel free to reach out to us. Future podcast episodes will be distributed through the AGG website and on our social media pages. You can find our contact information on agg.com. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you.